What's going on, y'all? How y'all doing? This is Jared from the Lanyard Legends Podcast, giving you another episode with news and interviews. Today on the show, we have an interesting interviewee. Uh, his name is Dr. Russell Leday. Welcome to the show, sir. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Um, appreciate you doing the show. Um, what's very interesting about this uh I don't know him at all, uh, but he is from the city of New Orleans. Um, I read, I just so glanced was just going through social media fees and I came across this article so from security guard to doctor. And I was like, what? what? Ain't he from <laughs> so I had, I had to read the article and I was intrigued by the story. So I just had to hit him up on Facebook and see if he could do the show. And he said he could do it next week. And I was like, oh yeah, let's do it. So I uh, appreciate you for getting on so quickly. Um, you're a very busy, busy man. So, uh, Please introduce yourself to my listeners and subscribers. Give a little brief bio about yourself. Yeah, so my name is uh, Dr. Russell J. Leday. I'm originally from Lake Charles, Louisiana, um, and I have a really winding road to how I got into medicine and how I ended up at um, Baton Rouge General Hospital. All right, all right. So uh, let's take it back a notch, because you got like a wild, wild career story. <laughs> So uh, I saw that you started off um, in the military. Did you start off in the military first, uh, right after high school? Yeah, yeah I started out about in the military. Yeah, man. So I started off. Uh, I ain't really got much of an option. You know, I never really thought going to college was an option um, because I thought honestly only rich people go to college. So with that being <laughs> the case, wow. You know, I, I kind of did the next best thing, which was, I was like, yo, I did really good on the ASVAB. I'm going to the military. Um, which, in know, actuality, in hindsight, was amazing because it started to teach me um, the concept of resilience and um, perpetual um, tenacity and also, like, you know, just an, an idea that you have a goal and then you gotta work for that goal. It's not just gonna come to you just because you you say it or you want it to happen. You have to work. Um, so I went to the Navy, um, and all in all, I spent about nine and nine and a half years in the Navy. Um, but um, my first duty station was at the um, United States Navy Ceremonial Guard, which most people know the people you see on TV with these pristine uniforms on either doing a funeral in Arlington National Cemetery or standing still for hours for these, you know, big events for heads of states and, you know, these very important people. And so I did that, you know, and that was my first exposure to really important people. Um, or, or maybe I should say very career-oriented, um, successful people. And uh, they kind of gave me some tips that I, I've always used as tenants to get to where I'm at, which is... Um, you know, never ask for permission. Only ask for forgiveness. Um, so go ahead and do what you think you, you're capable of doing. Um, and so after that, I went. I ended up going to cryptology school in Pensacola, Florida. Then I left Pensacola, Florida. My wife and I ended up moving to uh, Jacksonville, Florida, and I ended up on a ship. And then I was deploying back and forth aboard ship. And then my wife was like, nah, you got to find something else to do with your life. Because we can't build a family <laughs> with you acting like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you was in uh, Jacksonville. 
you was out there. That's when you became a security guard, or you came a security guard and we came back to Louisiana. Nah, so I was a security guard when I came back to Louisiana. Um, okay. So after, as I was finishing up at um, my my active duty, which was I had a five year obligation initially, right? Um, and my five year obligation initially um, was the end of it. My wife was like, "You got to find something else to do." Because mm. you can't just keep going back and forth. We're trying to build a family. You're gone two weeks. You're gone six months. You're going nine months. Nah, find something else to do. And I think you're smart enough to go to college. And, and although I was hesitant, I believed her. You know, I was kind of like, all right, let's give it a shot. So she helped me to apply to Southern University. And um, <clears throat> I got in. And um, once I got in, we bought our first house here in Baton Rouge. And uh, when we bought that house in Baton Rouge, I stayed on in the, in the Navy reserves. Um, but the problem with the reserves is, is that you don't get paid that much money. So I had to get another job. Um, and then I was like, I got a, I got a military background. So why not go into security? Um, I applied for the, uh, the job at Baton Rouge General and I interviewed and I got it. And it wasn't really about, you know, oh, I wanted to go into security or, oh, I wanted to be in a hospital. It was like, I got a mortgage mm -hmm. and I got a wife and I got a newborn on the way and I got to pay some bills. So I need to go get a job. <laughs> right. But I also need to think about what's the long term. So the long term was at least I got to get a college degree. And I didn't go into college thinking I was going to be a doctor. I went into college thinking I was going to become a social worker because I grew okay. up on food stamps. So, you know, I grew up on food stamps and the first person you encounter when you're in food stamps is a social worker. So I was like, I'm going to go back to my neighborhood and do some good, just like they did. You know, they, they helped out um, when we needed some money to get food. So, you know, um, but then I sat in on a chemistry class and I'll never forget it. Um, you know, I was sitting on this class and I was taking this general chemistry class, just like everyone else does, no matter what your major is. And, um, you know, I was sitting there like answering questions without a calculator and, you know, memorizing the periodic table. And the, the wow. teacher was like, what are you majoring in? And I was like, social work. And she was like, no. <laughs> she like, nah. She like, find something else to do. She's like, have you ever thought about science? I was like, uh, no. I ain't never met a black scientist. So I would sit up here and major in science. <laughs> so she introduced me to this guy named Dr. Wesley Gray. And uh, Dr. Wesley Gray is like one of our biggest mentors, man. Um, he's like a big brother to me. Uh, he also played Sigma, so go my, you know. Uh, but he, he kind of helped me to understand that I was capable of doing a lot, man. So I ended up deciding to, to um, switch my major to chemistry and biology because I was like it's kind of hard to understand biology if you don't understand chemistry because chemistry is the best biology so I was like why not double major and I'm not paying for it so it really doesn't matter um so I did you know and, and doing that gave me some experiences um in research and things of that nature and uh, you know once all that started happening um, I started getting these really prestigious scholarships. Like I got one to go to LSU to do some research. And that research was about developing um, molecules 
for earlier detection of colorectal cancer. So I started, you know, learning how to build drug molecules. And then I went off. Then one summer, I ended up going off to a uh, to a uh, Merck Pharmaceuticals in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, and there, I was working on treating um, asthma attacks. Um, and so, you know, all these opportunities, you know, and exposures to research helped me to understand that I was capable of becoming a scientist. Then I met the dean of NYU School of Medicine Graduate School. And he was like, you could come get a PhD at NYU. And I was like, bro, what? And he was like, yeah, you could come get a PhD at NYU. I was like, what do you mean? He was like, you could come get a PhD at NYU. So I applied to NYU and I got in and that just changed the game. It's like, this is crazy. <laughs> so you got a free ride to P uh, in New York University. I got a free ride all the way through my MD, bro. That's what's up. I ain't, I ain't up. paid for no education, man. <laughs> <laughs> so, you, so you got that through uh, uh, grants and uh, your military G, uh, GI program? Nah, I've been on scholarships ever since. You did all, did all scholarships? Yeah. That's what's up. <laughs> yeah. That's what's up. That's what's up. Yeah. Okay. So so you uh, went to P... What you got your PhD in? Molecular Oncology and Tumor Immunology. Okay. Can you explain <laughs> what that is? <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> so, you know, it's crazy because every time I say to people, like, oh, all right, bro. All right. So that sounds smart. You know, like it sounds like, ah, I mean, I guess it's kind of complicated. But basically, the idea is, so the research that I did was looking at um, how proteins are modified in prostate cancer to okay. um, help prostate cancer to progress to more aggressive states. Right. So, um, and then how can we identify those, um, you know, the proteins that are being modified and can we use those as targets for drugs? Okay. Um, so that was essentially the, the, that's like the crux of what I had going on. It's, it's kind of more complicated than that, but in layman terms, that's what was going on. And, and, you know, the problem with getting a PhD a lot of times is you don't know how to treat a patient. So you know a lot about prostate cancer. I mean, you know, like I knew a lot about prostate cancer, but I didn't know how to treat a patient. I, I didn't have the first clue on how to treat a patient, which is kind of crazy, right? You would think somebody knows about prostate cancer. Oh, they if they get a patient, they know what to do. Nah, you just know a lot about the science of prostate cancer. But you don't know what the side effects are. You don't know how to, you don't know what a radical prostatectomy is. You have no idea you know, about therapy, you just don't know because you don't have that medical context. You have a scientific context. And that's what made me very uncomfortable at the end of my PhD was the idea that like, bruh, um, I have this PhD, but I can't treat a patient and I don't have a context for how a patient feels after treatment or before treatment or you know any any of that so essentially that left me in a place where i felt uncomfortable about it and certain about it and i was like yo i think med school is the next stop um and with med school being the next stop um i applied i i, I got interviews at six places and i got acceptances at six places um and i was teeter-tottering between 
while Cornell Medical School in New York City and Baton Rouge and um and Tulane University in New Orleans. Because mm-hmm. my heart was in New Orleans. My heart was in Louisiana. But my mind was like, from a career perspective, I'm gonna be set if I go to an Ivy League. Right. That's in hindsight, that wasn't true at all. Like, I don't think it matters that much. Um, or at least it doesn't matter that much for me. I don't think it matters that much for me because I think the most important thing I've ever done is make a decision to come to Louisiana and treat Louisiana patients. That's like the most important decision I've ever made in my life. Um, because I think, you know, the problem a lot of times with what's going on in Louisiana is people leave Louisiana a lot of times and none of them want to come back. Um, and a lot of those people who leave are very talented. And they're able, they're able and capable of fixing a lot of the issues that we have here or contributing to those problems being lessened. But they just complain from afar. And it's like, what's the point you complaining about it if you're not helping the problem? You could come back and use your talents here or you could complain about it from afar. Right. You know, and, and the reality of it is, is, is that a lot of your family members are still here. You know, a lot of friends are still here, and you would be better served serving those people than you would be wherever you are. Um, but you know, I'm I'm not knocking people's choices. I just understand for me personally, I had to have a conviction that the people of Louisiana were important to me, and they still right. are, like they really are, and that's why I'm here. Right. Me and my wife, I think, had to have conversations about this. Yeah. So, uh, so we uh, decided to come back um, after she finished her residency um, from Mississippi um, and come back to the city. I was joyous. I was happy because I yeah. wanted to come back to Louisiana. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's home. Yeah, yeah it's home. <laughs> it's home. And if I'm going to make an impact, I'm going to make an impact where I'm from. Like, you exactly. know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, you know, to deal with these people how they are. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to do all that, but I'm going to do it where I'm from. You know, and that's that's really that's really where I'm at. Okay. What's going on, y'all? It's Jared from the Land Your Legends Podcast, giving you some information about Forex trading. If you're unfamiliar with Forex, Forex is a Forex exchange, stock exchange, pretty much. All you do is trade on currency from around the world, four different Forex markets. If you want more information about getting into the Forex game, hit up my website at i.academy forward slash jma99. Again, that website is im.academy forward slash jma999. If if you're unfamiliar with trading or Forex, this website and this team will give you all the information and tools that you need to succeed. Um, You can utilize the tools. You can utilize the classes. You can utilize their membership, their other members who are willing to assist you whenever you have any questions. It's like another community that's trying to make you money. It's another revenue stream. Always remember, a millionaire has seven streams of income. This can be another one for you. All right. So you got your uh, PhD. So you just... um, so you're working at, I'm sorry, I'm going out of timeline. So you got, you was working security guard before you became PhD? 
Mm-hmm. So I was working as a security guard the whole yeah, time I was in Southern. Okay. All right. So oh, let's talk yeah, about so you. Was... Yeah. Nah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I said let's talk about you. Uh, first, what, what did you graduate from Southern University? What you got your degree in from Southern? In chemistry and biology. I was a double major in chemistry major. and biology. Right. So everywhere I didn't went, I didn't got at least two degrees. When I went to Southern, <laughs> I got a chemistry and biology degree. When I went to NYU, I got a master's and a PhD. And now I'm at Tulane and I'm getting an MD and an MBA. Because I'm like, yeah. I might as well kill two birds with one stone. Right, exactly. I mean, you've you, you been doing everywhere else you went, so why not, huh? Why not? <laughs> Get it done. And it's been working. That's what's up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Southern University in my blood. My mom and pops went to uh, Southern University. There so, you uh, go. Go Jags. So, you know, uh, <laughs> so you graduate from uh, Southern University, then you start working in a uh, security guard at uh, Baton Rouge General Hospital. That's correct? Nah, I was, I was simultaneously working at Baton Rouge General all on the Southern University. Okay, gotcha. Okay. Full time. Okay. So I was so my schedule generally was wake up at seven AM, get to school by eight, go to school from eight to three fifteen, drive to Baton Rouge General, which was like twenty minutes away, and then work from four to midnight and then go home. That was the schedule. Man, you was yeah, hey, I, I understand the hustle, man. I worked like two, three jobs during college, so I understand the grind. There you go. You go get it, man. You gotta go get it. Yeah, you know? cool. And I was doing that full time. And then on the weekends, what I would do on Fridays when I had to go to the reserves, I would work. So I go to school in the morning. I get off at 3.15, go to work from 4 to midnight, and then drive from Baton Rouge to Pensacola and get to work for 8 in the morning. <laughs> work all day, go to bed, wake up in the morning, work on Sunday, and then drive back to Baton Rouge in time for school on Monday. Man, you was getting it. My goodness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Man, I, was, I was out there. I All right. Out there. So how long did it take you to finish from uh, Southern University? Four years. I graduated mm-hmm. in four years on time. Yeah. On time. On time. Double I major. Yeah, I was averaging 20 to 21 hours a semester. Okay. But, I mean, you get it how you live. You know? <laughs> you don't get it, you know, right? All right. So uh, let's talk about your, your, your experience in, uh, when you're working at the hospital security guard um and uh tell the people your interaction when you was uh talking to the physicians when you seeking some assist some uh yeah you know <laughs> you know you know uh as expected man you know i understand bro i i don't i don't so you know my interaction with a lot of the physicians was yo like you know trying to get their attention but maybe they were in a rush or some of them weren't in a rush and they just straight up be like you're not going to and i don't have a problem with that i don't have a problem with you thinking that i'm not going to be something that i think i will be because i think it's about me proving you wrong and i think it's also about you learning that underestimating people is it's a learning process for both of us you know i gotta learn how to prove you wrong and prove myself right and you gotta learn how to stop underestimating people based on where they are. Um, but I had some people who gave me a chance, man. Um, Dr. Patrick Greifenstein, he gave me a chance, man. Um, he was a chief resident who was a surgeon. Um, he came in one night, I was working in the ER as a security guard. And um, 
he needed Gort to get to the OR. He was coming through the ER and the OR was kind of like on the other side of the hospital. So I just so happened to be the person who was escorting him. And uh, as I was escorting him, you know, I, I looked down at him and I was like, yo, cause he's shorter than me. And I was like, yo, I was like, hey, you really a surgeon? He was like, yeah. And I was like, all right, well, can I, can I, uh, can I shadow you? And he looked at me and he was like, yeah, why not? And I was like, bet. I was like, it's on. I got an opportunity, baby. Because, I mean, my thing was, I'm not going to stop asking. You know what I'm saying? I'm not, I'm going to keep asking. Eventually, somebody's going to say yes. Right. How many uh, positions did you ask before you asked him? Too many. Too many? <laughs> Too many. It shouldn't have took that long. Or some of them would be like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to make sure I give you my email whenever I come back. And then they either never come back or they take a different route to get back to their car or whatever. Or, you know, it's whatever. I, mean, I, I don't really, you know, I, I understand why that part of the story is captivating. But to, to be candid with you, I, I, I appreciate naysayers. You know, I, I wrote this quote a while back that, you know, there are people who will um, ignore you along your journey. Um, let them. Let them. They play in their role. They have a role to play. Let them play their role. Um, let them let them do what they were designed to do. You know, and the people who's supposed to help you, they're going to help you. God got you. And just let you fall. You're going to be all right. You know, you can't worry about nothing. Um, can't strain. My mama used to tell me, you either going to pray and not worry or don't worry about praying. You know, you know, so that's kind of the way, you know, I've kind of thought about it is I can't stress myself too much about the people who don't think I can become something. It's cool. It's all right. We'll figure it out. We'll see. We shall see. In some at some point, somebody gonna have to pay the pipe. It's either gonna be me and I'm gonna bite the bullet and be like, you was right. Well it's gonna be you. And you're gonna be like, bro, what? Cause I mean you know, now I'm getting all this publicity, right, for this story. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk. I let's know talk. they see it, right? So, let, so let's talk about that the publicity. I'll talk about it later, but we can bring it up since you brought it up. So, uh, can you please let the people know how many articles, what TV shows you've been <laughs> on, so they can know how uh, how much of a superstar <laughs> you are? And I didn't even realize that until I started talking to you before the show. So, uh, yeah, let people know. Yeah, man. I mean, I've been featured by Washington Post. I've been on TV with CNN, with a uh, Brooke Baldwin, um, MSNBC. Kelly Clarkson flew us all the way out to LA. Uh, BBC. It was just like an international article. NPR. That was a point where we were trending number one um, on NPR. Um, it's been highlighted on Reddit. Um, times we were on the front page of the new orleans times picking you um we'd have been everywhere man i'm I, right now i'm actually filming for uh the nbc uh nightly boost um with lester holt uh, i have some perspectives for the today show um bet has highlighted me before b actually highlighted me today um <laughs> Uh, People <laughs> okay. magazine. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I'm missing somebody, but yeah, you, you. I don't think I can name too many outlets that haven't 
I haven't spoken with or so. Okay. All right. That's cool. So what, what was the first one? Who was the first people to reach out to you? Ooh, way back in December, the very first people to reach out to me. Oh, Vogue. I can't forget Vogue. Um, Vogue was huge. <laughs> um, very first people we ever talked to. And I say we because we also got the 15 White Coats thing going on. It's like been top. I've been going through this since December of last year. I've been talking to the media since December of last year on a okay. daily basis for like what, what month are we in our eighth month yeah this has been a year yeah. media for me um okay. uh let's see people magazine people magazine were first people and uh people magazine always been done justice by us yahoo i forgot about yahoo msnbc msn google okay yeah that's what's up that's what's up yeah man you, you've been all around so you, see, you might as well go back to school get a uh, degree in journalism nah I'm not doing no more school <laughs> I'm done with school if I don't have enough education at this point I'll never have enough education <laughs> alright uh, cool 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 alright so you asked so let's go back to your story so you, you asked the physician um, can he shatter you and what, did the, what, what goes on with shattering a physician You hear me? Uh, uh, yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you now. Okay. Uh, I All know right. what was going on. Okay. Yeah, I was asking, uh, what happens when you uh, shadow a physician? You already asked the question to the physician. He said yes. So what happens when you start uh, shadowing a physician? Yeah, man. So, so when I asked Patrick, and he was like, yeah. Um, like a week later, we went to sign the paperwork for me to get into the um, cert into the OR with him. So I got to go into the OR with him, um, and I got to shadow him, which means that shadowing is like when you like you know kind of watch a doctor do what they do. You don't really do much; you just watch and ask questions and stuff like that. First surgery was a mastectomy, which basically means that you take off um, a breast. Uh, mainly, this is done because of uh, uh, and the person who was the attending with like the senior doctor was Dr. Peter Bostic, which is like this really well-known um, surgical oncologist. So um, that was the first time, man. And then it's crazy because uh, I recently went to the OR with Dr. Glenn Schwartzberg at Baton Rouge General Hospital as well. Uh, and this time I got to get my hands dirty. Um, and it was a whole different ball game because <laughs> it was like a dream come true, man. You know, it was like, dang, bruh, you really out here doing this in Louisiana. Like, you know, for me, it was kind of like, but people where I'm from don't get to do this, you know, and, and to be able to do it, it's just kind of like mind blown. It really is. It still is. You know, I'm on peds there. Now I'm on pediatrics now. And I'm just like, but this is wow. Wait, what kind of story did God come up when he made this one? It's kind of one of those once in a lifetime type joints, you know? So. Okay. That's what's up. So uh so you you, you shadowing the uh, the physician, you doing a couple of surgeries, a few surgeries. So um how did you get into uh Tulane Medical School and the MBA program at Tulane? Go Green Wave, because I'm alumni. 
<laughs> um, the two lane, the two lane uh, acceptance was just like so. All med school interviews, for the most part, are similar in that you go there. Well, first you have to submit this application. It costs like a lot of money to apply to med school. Yes, it costs, it like does. thousands of do- like people don't know that. It costs like right. thousands of dollars to apply to med school. Like people are like, oh, just apply to med school. It's like you got a couple thousand dollars I can borrow. <laughs> you know, um, so it's it's a really expensive process, man. I don't think a lot of people know that. Um, right, I didn't know that either. Yeah, man, but it's a really expensive process, and so I got some help from some people at NYU to help me. Um, but I, I applied through the MCAT system just like everyone else, and I got some interview. Actually, Tulane University was the first school to give me um, an interview invite. It was like July. It was July twelfth, twenty eighteen, or maybe twenty seventeen. Yeah, yeah. Nope, twenty seventeen, because I started in twenty eighteen. Um, uh, you the people with the with the MCAT. What's a what's MCAT? Yeah, I took the MCAT. Yeah, I took the MCAT, which is a medical college admissions test. Um, and I, I did I did okay. I did I you know I did my part. Um, can you can you tell them how long that exam is? Oh my God, it's eight <laughs> hours. Man. It's an eight hour exam, and the MCAT is an eight hour beast. <laughs> it's just like, but you know what though? In hindsight, the MCAT isn't that bad compared to what we're doing now. <laughs> this is right. Residency, yeah, residency <laughs> a whole ball, a different ball game. Yeah, man. You know, don't ever underestimate the amount of information that a doctor has to learn. It is a lot. I mean, you know, it's a lot. Yeah. It's a whole lot. You know, it was a point when I remember when I was getting my PhD, my wife used to complain about how many books we had in the house. And then one day during medical school, I was doing her hair because I've been doing my wife's hair for like 10 years. Um, she was like, no, I asked her, I was like, hey, I got a surgery show come up. Um, can you help me study while I'm doing your hair? Because it don't take me like three hours to do your hair. Um, so she was like, all right, I'm gonna help you. Yeah, I got it. I was like, all right, well, open the book and start reading to me some of the stuff in there. She got like a page in and was like, oh no. <laughs> she was like, oh no. She was like, what is this stuff? <laughs> she was like, y'all need to know all of this. She was like, oh, she's like, I'm never gonna complain about how many books we have in the house anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so you know you go through that process it's, it's funny in hindsight man but at the time I, now my wife is like nah it don't matter how many books you have in the house just do you because you it's way over my head now um yeah you know, i used to help my wife study during medical school so i know i was yeah, like man, yeah. you gotta study all this you gotta read all this i mean she yeah. was studying, like all day like a job yeah yeah it is a job that's the problem yeah it is yeah just study you know yeah yeah man so you know the the medical school process um was so you finish this amcas process you take the mcat you get these letters of recommendation you submit it to all these schools you write secondary letters and then you get invites then you gotta fly there so you don't just do a a, a interview over Skype or zoom which would have made sense then and obviously makes sense now because of this pandemic, um, sad that it took a pandemic for us to realize that you can spend a lot of people money by just letting them do an interview over Zoom. Um, 
but you know so i did i did that um i flew out to western i interviewed i interviewed at lsu new orleans lsu shreveport tulane uh rutgers um in jms new jersey medical school um mount sinai and wild cornell medical school um and I got into every last one of them. I still have the letters. I still have the letters. I keep them with me. Um, and I keep them with me to ri- remind me um, that I was capable then and I'm capable now. Um, you got to have some reminders like that around. You know, and I also want to show them to my kids. Um, to, you know, to leave it for them as a source of inspiration. Because I, I came from and got there. Uh, and you you silver spooning it now like right. you should be all right <laughs> you, be so, you know yeah okay. that's weird man. and then right. i ended up deciding on tulane so my second daughter was born on february 20th um i think at around like 10 something in um <clears throat> eastern standard time I got an email that same morning from Tulane telling me um, we have a full ride scholarship waiting on you. So you can come here if you want and you don't have to pay for it. Wow. Um, yeah. So that, so I looked at my wife's shoes. You know, you know how it is right after they have a baby. She's tired. And I was like, hey. What's going on, y'all? It's Jared from the Land Young Legends Podcast. Thank y'all for listening to the podcast. Make sure you all subscribe, like, follow, leave a rating. Do everything you need to get the message out about the Land Young Legend Podcast. We appreciate you all listening. Enjoy the show. Honey, don't worry. We're going home. She was so happy. Man. She was just like, what a day got a newborn baby and we're going home because you know i had five acceptances in my hand actually i had six acceptances by the time we had the baby and um you know we we was trying to decide where was the best place for for us to go i love mount sinai um but i also loved um cornell i loved wild cornell um but i loved doing so it was like where am i gonna go and I ended up going uh, where I'm supposed to go, which is Tulane. You can't okay. win any plantation photo without Tulane. Okay. I had to be at Tulane in order to do that. That's what's up. That's what's up. That's what's up. All right. So uh, you got your acceptance letter. You decided to go to Tulane Medical School. Um, so can you tell us how it is that first year? <laughs> medical school. I already know the answer. <laughs> uh, you know, that first year of med school is the most questionable year of your life, man. You know, because you're still trying to figure out um, can you cut it? You know, are you are you good enough? Um, do you have what it takes? Um, and the, what made it tougher is we had two kids. We had a newborn and an eight-year-old, a seven-year-old at the time. Actually, she was seven, yeah. We had a seven-year-old and a new. I was like, what are we doing? Like, what is going on? Um, but we were figuring <laughs> out. I also was, 
I was I wanted to be gung ho as usual, and I went running for class president. So I was class president, a first year MD MBA student with a newborn at home, like an idiot. Like I was just <laughs> out of it. You the man. But, you the man. But just like I did at Southern, I was just doing the most. I was like, whatever, I'm gonna keep doing it. It's gonna work. We're gonna make it happen. And it worked. You know, I'm still here. They ain't kicked me out yet. Um, you know, so that was the uh that was the move, man. And uh, you know, that's how that's how I got to here. Um, first year of med school was challenging, man, but it was it was good. Okay. It was good. Help me to understand who I needed to be cool with and who was kind of whack. Which All means right. a lot in med school. That's a lot. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so not right now you ain't in your third year, correct? Mm-hmm. All right. Can, can you tell the people? <laughs> can you, all right. Can you tell your people your uh, your discipline <laughs> or disciplines? I should say. Yeah. So, I just finished surgery and I'm on pediatrics. Um, bruh, life is hell. But you know what though? It's fun hell. You know, like. And it's, I guess it's compounded fun hell now because of all this, you know, attention. Because um, it makes it tough. Like I was up at five o'clock this morning for a radio interview in California. Um, and then I had like news centers throughout the day. And then, you know, now I'm on here and I still got to study after this, which is cool. It's fun. I mean, who's going to be able to say they went through med school and had, you know, all this stuff going on? Um, kind of rare but it's fun you know and and although it is tiring and surgery was definitely tiring peas a little bit lighter um you know i'll be honest today i i think i might have worked 45 minutes to an hour total um <laughs> um <laughs> you know there there are days that will be heavier don't worry viewers there are days that are heavier um but today was a light Okay. Um, and I'm grateful. And I'm grateful. <laughs> All right. So, uh, can you uh, talk about your uh, 15 white coats? Uh, yeah, man. So the 15 white coats. How um, to pull a picture of Okay. Yeah, the 15 white coats is um, an organization that I I co-founded with. Um, um, some of my other colleagues over at uh, Tulane University Medical School after um, photos went viral. So there's this photo that we took um, 15 black medical students in front of some slave quarters at the Whitney Plantation. Right. So the idea behind that was that previous summer, so summer 2019, my daughter and I and um my daughter and I and my best friend who was getting his PhD with me at Tulane, I mean, at, uh, at NYU School of Medicine. Um, he also went to an HBCU, shout out to North Carolina A&T. Um, you know, he came down to visit me. And so, you know, when you go to an HBCU, black history is like extra important. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know, it's like you get you get it ingrained, and you get the truth. So, you know, um, everybody don't get that. But when you go to an HBCU, oh, you're gonna get it. Oh, you're gonna get it. Um, and I'm grateful for it because when we came down, the first thing we thought was, "Yo, let's go to this plantation." 
we had read about it, we had heard about it, and we was like, yo, we're gonna go see it for ourselves. So we went there along with my nine-year-old daughter, who was eight-year-old at the time. She was actually supposed to be a tennis, but I told her, you you coming with us today. So she came, and on our ride back, maybe 15 minutes down the road, because Edgar, Louisiana is like 45 minutes outside of New Orleans. Um, about 15 minutes on 15 minutes on the road on our way back to New Orleans, my daughter stopped us in the middle of a conversation, and she was like, Dad. Now I finally understand why being a black doctor in America is such a big deal. Now in my mind, I'm thinking like, I'm like, I'm, I'm like, okay, an eight-year-old just told me this, and we just left a plantation. I'm like, the ancestors dropped something off. Let me see where we can go ahead and get from. Yeah, oh, you know, see, yeah, my, um, see that my, my wife, doctor, doctor Brian Anderson. Oh, I know Brian. Rian, no. I know Rian. You know Rian? <laughs> yeah. Rian was one of the mentors in our for yeah. I, I figured out, I was like, I think it's Dr. Brianna Anderson. <laughs> um I'm serious, man. So so the inspiration behind the photo was um you know this conversation. So my daughter and I had this conversation and she was like, Dad, I finally understand why being a black doctor in America is such a big deal. And I was like, okay, why? And she was like, well, just think about it. We just left a plantation. And um, and there was a time when black people couldn't be nothing but slaves. They couldn't be engineers or doctors or lawyers or, you know, um, or, or whatever. Um, she was like, they just had to be slaves. She was like, now think about this. I'm riding in the car with two of them right now. She was like, that's progress. She was like, that's progress. She was, and I looked over at Philip and I was like, first of all, I appreciate the ancestors for dropping that off to her. Um, but second of all, I got an idea. I was like, I got an idea. Bro. I was like, I'm about to get some people together. We gonna go out there in all black and our white coat and we gonna take this photo in front of these slave quarters. And we gonna show people that no matter what systems you put in place, we still gonna get past it. Exactly. Cause we built, like we built different. We built different, you know what I'm saying? And, and we did it, man. And I so I wrote an email to everybody, honestly, everybody who was black at Tulane. And we were able to get 14 other people to sign up. Um, and, um, you know, I told them, look, this photo we gonna take is gonna be iconic. It's gonna go far. Um, Cause I knew, I was like, yo, there's, you gotta think about what that photo illustrates. Think about what you're looking at. You're looking at history, right? And then you're looking at the future at the same time. Exactly. And what you're also looking at is how um, history wasn't able to thwart the future. It might have delayed it, but it didn't stop it, right? Like, like we we are the next set of doctors coming out, right? The next set of black doctors, by the way, that are coming out. Um, and history couldn't stop us from becoming physicians. History couldn't stop Dr. Anderson from becoming physicians. And these systems that were put in place to literally destroy us and use us as only property, it didn't work. You know what I'm saying? It it it, it didn't work 100. Um, it, it didn't work, and that's the whole point. You gotta you gotta take into account hundreds of years of history and the system that was put in place to destroy us did not work it didn't work 
Um, and that's really what people are trying to wrestle with when they're watching that, when they're looking at that photo. It's like, man, we really had a system in place to make sure that these people never came to fruition. And here they are boldly telling us, well, that didn't work out too well for you, did it? And so that's how we came up with the uh, the moniker resilience is in our DNA. And I'll actually, I'll, I'll, I'll bring some some t-shirts by for you to wear. Um, we have a, uh, a t-shirt that says resilience is in our DNA. Um, it's on the website somewhere. Um, <laughs> but yeah, man, um, that photo right there is blown up um, into a two foot by three foot size. And we've put it up in like over a thousand schools in the United States. We're sending like 50 of those posters to the UK. We're sending some to Switzerland. We're sending some to North North Africa in the next two weeks. Um, there are some that are going to Zimbabwe, some that are going to um, Tanzania, uh, some that are going to Gabon, Cote um, d'Ivoire. We we got them going around the world, man. And um, all of the money that we raise from this um, this project, we don't keep any of it. We don't profit on any of it. Every dollar that we raise goes towards scholarships for minorities who are applying to medical school, law school, dental school, farm school. Um, and also um, for us to put these photos in schools. So schools can go on our website and sign up for a poster and we mail it to them for free. Um, and so that's that's what we're using all this money. That's what we're doing with all this money that we have. We're using it to, to cycle it back to our community because what we realize is, is that if you take into account the economic history of marginalized communities, there's no way in hell you're going to sit up here and convince me that we can afford to become doctors. A lot of us, let's just be honest. If you take into account the money you got to have to go to undergrad, and then the money you got to have to study for the MCAT, and then the money you got to have to take the MCAT, and then the money you got to have to pay for the AMCAS, and then the money you got to have to go to these different interviews, and then the money you got to have to move to a new medical school bruh the system is not set up for us to succeed it's just not like let's just be honest um and so we want to do our part to try to help out our ultimate goal is to pay for the medical school tuition for an entire income and class of minority students throughout the entire u.s i think we're gonna raise enough money to do that at some point that's our ultimate goal in the short term my goal is to build up a high school in new orleans to help kids to understand what they need to know in order to become doctors. Essentially do our part in the pipeline. Okay. okay. That's what's up. That's I like that. Up. I love, I like to hear that. Yeah, I like to hear that. That's what's up. All right. Cool. So, um, so what can you tell the people about um, overcoming and not giving up your dream? Because um, people like us, we have to go through a lot to overcome. We got more obstacles than more other uh, people of color other people of color actually um so what do you get what advice would you give someone who's in the same boat as you um people saying no closing the door in their face what would you tell them to do yeah man my 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 thought process is man find you some mentors bro um you know it would it's a luxury to have mentors who um who are akin to you and by akin to you, I mean that they understand your culture, they understand where you're from, they understand what you got going on. Um, but I'll be candid with you that those people aren't necessarily people, they aren't always people who look like you. Let me be honest and say that. Um, that's a hard concept for some people to take in. 
but I think I kind of, I always tell people to take the, the Malcolm X approach by any means necessary, by any means necessary, do what you got to do to get where you intend to go. Um, if that means you got to work really hard for it, which the majority of the time you do, you're going to have to work really hard for it. Um, if that means that you got to ask somebody who's really important to help you understand what you need to do, well, then you got to ask somebody who's really important what it takes in order to help you to do what you need to do. And the best part about it is, is that this generation has accessibility to people in a way that a lot of us growing up didn't. They have LinkedIn. You can send an email for free. You don't have to go hunting. You don't have to go hunting for their email. You don't have to go hunting for their phone number. You can follow them on Instagram. You could DM them on Instagram. You could right. DM them on Facebook. If you bug them enough, they'll eventually be like, okay, let me pay attention to them. Like, okay, I gotta pay attention. So that's that's part of it. And then the other part of it is too, man. And and this sounds this may sound stupid, but um, I always tell people to you're gonna dream. Right, like you're gonna have dreams. Some of those dreams are gonna be beyond what you can imagine right now. So, for example, remember when I was 18, 19 years old, remember I woke up one night out of a sweat, um, a cold sweat, and I had this dream that scared the hell out of me because it was like me standing in front of like hundreds of thousands of people and talking. I don't remember what I was talking about, but it like scared me out of my life because I was like, God, I'm not ever going to be prepared for this, you know? Um, and then lo and behold, you know, um, maybe in February, Kelly Clarkson hit us up, right? She's like, yeah, I'm about to send y'all some plane tickets and y'all going to come to LA and y'all going to come on my set and y'all going to talk about what y'all doing. That's like daytime TV talking about what you're doing. And then now, right, NBC Nightly News, the Today Show, man, it's crazy. So it's, but the thing is, but I will tell you this, even though I was scared when I woke up that night, I wrote it down. I was like, even though I'm scared, at some point I might mature into what I need to be. And I started telling some of my mentors about my dreams and stuff like that, you know, and and what I was thinking was possible, you know, and things that nature, even though I was scared, they were like, it'll happen. You just got to keep going. Don't quit. Don't get distracted. And that's another thing too. figure out what the distractions are and then eliminate them. Eliminate them. Um, Some people, to be candid, don't need social media. Um, that sounds crazy, but some people don't need social media That's because true. they can't handle it. They can't handle it. They don't know. They get in their feelings too soon or, you know, they 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 so worried about other people's lives that you got to keep the main thing, the main thing. And I think a goal driven life forces you to, to recognize what's just benign and nonsensical and just needs to be ignored when you really got a goal in mind. If you ever watch somebody who's like, like if you take trainers, I've never been able to exercise as much as trainers do, right? But if you look at tra- but trainers could be like at a party, um, you know, having a good time. In midway, they'll be like, man, I need to go get my workout in. I'm going to be back, y'all, or I'm going to check y'all tomorrow. In the middle of a party, having a good time. I'm like, yo, that's crazy. But if you actually think about it, it's not. 
they got a goal in mind. I mean, I've, I've been a mess student now. I'm in my third year. There have been plenty of times that I've been having a good time. And I'm like, yeah, I got to go early. I got to go study. And they're like, what you doing? We having a good time. And I'm like, y'all understand. This is the most important thing to me. Studying. So, you know, you got to be um, obsessed with your goals and then go after them. Um, and that's not necessarily something that's taught. Um, sometimes you got to be exposed to people who do that, but you also have to be around people who do that. Right. Um, exposure. exposure is key. Exposure brings yeah, out yeah. and lets you know what you can achieve. If they can do it, yeah. you can do it as well. Right. 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 I mean, you didn't, you know, you had a luxury of being around Dr. Anderson and seeing the insatiable desire you have to have in order to become a world certified. Right. You know, you know, it's just like crazy the amount of studying you got to do, you know. So, like, is this ridiculous? But if you want it, but if you want it, you're gonna go get it, right? No excuses, <laughs> nah, nah, nah. That's the bottom line. You either gonna get it or you're not. That's it, okay? All right, so, um, since you always busy, um, always working, getting an MBA and MD at the same time, how's your work life balance? Man, you know, believe it or not, man, my work-life balance is amazing, bro. Uh, I actually just made 14 years of marriage uh, on August 5th. Wow, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you, thank you. Um, I got a two-year-old and a nine-year-old. Um, I The thing, I would tell you this much. If people always ask me, how's my work-life balance? I say what you should ask is, how's my work-life-sleep balance? <laughs> <laughs> and I would tell you, I will tell you it's like 45, 45, and 10 in that order. <laughs> like, I just don't sleep much. But okay. I don't neglect time with my kids, and I don't neglect work. Okay. I don't neglect time with my wife, and I don't neglect work. I always tell people I love loving my wife. It's like a, it's an action thing, right? Like, love is an action thing. And the action of loving her is really fun, and I get to enjoy doing it. She's like my best friend. She's not like my best friend. She is my best friend. She's the person I clown with, talk with, you know, joke with, make all. I, I get to send all my memes to her. You know, <laughs> she the person who never thinks that I'm important. So it's so fun to be like, yo, honey, I got a People Magazine article. And she like, so. <laughs> <laughs> she like, and, whoa, and, and, like, what's the point? You know, I never forget. Um, <laughs> So, so when 15 white coats popped off, right, um, and the People magazine called us, um, Sydney, who's my partner in the, in the Kelly Clarkson interview, she passed off that interview with People magazine to me that I talked to her. And, uh, you know, my wife came to, because I went to go study at a Starbucks down the street from my house. Um, and my wife came with the kids to come meet me at Starbucks for a little while because I like to spend time with them before I go studying until, um, you know, middle of the night to come home. Um, but I don't want to let some time with them. So they Starbucks, we got some cookies and stuff like that. But before we got those cookies, I was sitting down trying to have a full-blown conversation with my wife about, we just got off the phone with People Magazine and this and that. And she was like, but these kids need some hot cocoa and a cookie. <laughs> and I was like, honey, did you hear what I said? She was like, did you hear what I said? <laughs> she was like, the kids, 
She's like, because they need to go home and do their homework so that they can get to bed. And you up here playing around because you're going to be here studying all night. But see, when, you, when I leave with these kids, I got to deal with them. So can you get them their coffee? And their, like, just like that people, like, just like trust me, that, none of that stuff going to bother me. That's you. <laughs> like, that's you. This is us. She's like, this is us. You know, so, I, you know, having somebody like that around is kind of, it's, it's funny, man, because, you know, they, they put you in your place real quick. You know, I told her, yeah. like, hey, honey, I got this NBC nightly show thing on her. She was like, you going to brush your teeth first, though? She's like, because you just woke up and you still ain't brushing teeth yet. And I was like, bro, you a savage, you know? My wife the same way, man. She was like, you going to comb your hair? You going to brush your heat? Okay, you about to interview? Oh. oh, okay. All right. Let me know. Like, like people, be hitting up. people be hitting her up about, hey, did you see the show? And she was like, no. Like, I ain't watching. Might be her first time actually watching the show today. <laughs> you know, she, I told her I was interviewing you, and she was intrigued and interested about it. So this is probably the first time probably watching the show. Wow, wow. Well, she's supporting, <laughs> bro. No matter yeah, what, my wife said, no matter what's going on, I'm supporting you. She was like, I gotta be supporting you. You see these kids over here? They're not bothering <laughs> you when you're trying to study, are they? That's how I'm supporting you. you know? So it's kind of crazy, man. But it is what it is. It'll be all right. <laughs> all right. All right. So, uh, what would you tell somebody who wants to be uh get in your field? If, they want to be a physician. Uh, what are some of the do's and don'ts? Um, don't doubt yourself, man. Um, or maybe I should say, don't believe your doubts. Um, also, it is okay to be academically excellent. Um, I think there's a stigma sometimes in our community around being really smart um, and being a book nerd. Um, but it's nothing wrong with that because believe it or not, in order to become a physician, you actually have to be pretty smart. Um, and not necessarily in a sense that you remember everything in the world, but in a sense that you um, are willing to study really hard. You know, that's like one of the, the key tenets to being able to get here. And the other thing is too, man, is to get some mentors. Mentors, mentors, mentors. I cannot stress enough how critical mentors are. Mentors will give you where the bump in the road is, how to get over the bump in the road, and then how to make sure the next time a bump in the road comes, you avoid it. Um, and those kinds of things are priceless, you know. And that's that's really the the bottom line, um, you know, in terms of what it takes to get here. Uh, mentors, exposure, um, and a lot of resilience. Because you're going to get a lot of no's. You're going to get a lot of failure along the way trying to get here. Um, and that's okay. Ain't nothing wrong with that. You know, the most important thing you can do is never give up on yourself. And uh, make sure you have some good mentors. All right. Cool, 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 cool. All right. So, uh, what was that moment that you knew that you feel that you made it, that you was the man? <laughs> was it on one of your TV shows? <laughs> yeah, nah, man, nah, man. I don't think I had that moment yet, man. I'm gonna be honest okay. with you. Um, and I think the reason why I say I haven't had that moment yet is because I'm still learning what I'm capable of doing. You know, um, 
I don't think I ever hit a moment where I made it because I think a lot of it is because of who my grandmother was, um, what she taught me about people. She always used to tell me that people are the most important entity in the world. Um, so you always treat them right. And coming from that kind of humble background, there's no such thing as you made it. You know, my, 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 uh, my mom once asked me, you know, so when are you, when are you all, you know, going to buy you a nice house? And, and it's even though I'm in med school, we are in a position to be able to, to buy us a nice house. And I told my mom, I said, mom, I don't know if I'll ever buy me a nice house. I said, um, because all that money, I can use it to build a community center. Let's say, let's say I go buy me a $400,000 house. I was like, I honestly could have lived in an $80,000 house and took that other $370,000 you know, and built a community center. I was like, which one do you think God will be more proud of? I was like, if you ever, I was like, if you ever, I said, if you ever watch the life of Jesus, right? He was like the richest and the poorest person at the same time. So if you take that into account, you ain't really chasing that in physical. You chasing something that transcends time. And for me, changing the lives of young kids in communities very little where I came from is what I'm chasing. I'm chasing kids being able to say the reason why I'm a doctor today is because given an opportunity um, to learn how to suture or learn how to take somebody's blood pressure or learn how to um, check someone's pulse or, you know, learn, you know, do, a, you know, an eye exam or a physical exam or I was to learn, you know, bedside manner before I finished high school. That's the most important thing. Having a big house for what? I'm not gonna be there. Physicians work so often, they rarely home. <laughs> like, let's just be honest. I told my wife, I was like, I was like, I'm gonna tell you what we're gonna get. We're gonna get an apartment. I was like, we're gonna get an apartment. I was like, and when we want to go somewhere, we're just gonna travel the world. But what's the point in us getting a really big house? You know, like what's the point in us getting a really big house? We could rent a big house if we having a party. I was like, but what do we need one for? I was like, we barely there. If you working, you barely home, right? Like, you think, I mean, let's just be honest, you know. And if I really want to be comfortable, I can get an Airbnb for a hundred dollars. I don't need three hundred seventy dollars, three hundred seventy thousand dollars worth of Airbnb. I need like a hundred dollars worth of Airbnb. You know what I'm saying? You know, you know. So that's just my take, man. You know, I, I come from a humble background, and and for me, it's just like, man. I just want to be different for the kids, man. I okay. do because I don't need. I, I hope there are no more stories like mine. You know, and, and part of that happening is people like me climbing the economic ladder and then using that money to to make my community better and influence others making our community better. Because nobody gonna come and save black folks, right? Yeah, Nobody gonna yeah. come riding in on the white horse and say, "We got y'all, right? We got it today." Reparations probably not coming. <laughs> oh, it, it ain't coming. I, I don't see it coming in no time soon. People need to just get that <laughs> Let's be head. honest. Reparations yeah. are not coming, so we right. gonna have to pull ourselves up by the bootstraps. Although we were never given boots, 
and never giving straps. Yes, right. You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And we're gonna have to figure it out. And um part of it is is getting our money to build our community, you know, taking our money to keep it in our community, you know, and and I know that's an unpopular opinion for a lot of people, but I could live with unpopular opinions. Right. As long as by the end of the day, you know, I've I've accomplished what I intended to accomplish. Okay. That's what's up. All right. All right. So I got one last question for you. So um yep. um being a man of color, have you ever dealt with any racism, um, any turmoil during your career? No, nah, I man, I ain't never dealt with no racism. <laughs> <laughs> Nah, man, I ain't never dealt with racism, man. Um, absolutely not. That's never happened to me, bro. I'm, I'm good. I've never had anything like that happen to me. Um, so, so, quick story. Um, I was uh, in a surgery physician's lounge. I'm not going to say what hospital I was at. Okay. Um, but I was in the physician's lounge. And... Um, this attending, I was sitting there with my attending, and this other attending was like, man, you know, it sure would be nice if we could go back to the 1950s. And I was like, bro, what? I'm thinking in my I'm thinking in my head, like, bro, what? But I ain't saying nothing. I just kind of made a face like, okay, let's see where this goes. This is gonna be interesting. <laughs> so then buddy goes on and he's like, you know, the main reason why um the main reason why I'm saying that is because, uh, you know, back in those days, you know, those were the good old days. You know, things were much easier back then. So my attending looks at me, and at this point, I'm like, I'm about to go off on this dude. I'm about to go fuck while I'm on this dude. <laughs> my attending is like, you know, it probably would have been a really good time for us, but it, it, it wasn't going to be a good time for him. I could get, He wouldn't even be able to sit in his room in the 1950s. He was like, the guy responded, well, you know, there were times in history that weren't good for everyone. And I was like, dog, how do you just, how do you continue to justify what you just said? I was like, bro. So my attending, my attending was like, okay, all right, let's stop this. Hey, look, man, the patient's ready for surgery. Let's go scrub in. Right. And, exactly. and I was yeah. like, thank God. Uh, you know, thank God. But if you think about it, bruh, to be honest with you, bruh, that was less than five weeks ago. You do the math where I was at. That was less than five <laughs> weeks ago. That was, a, that was a couple weeks ago, bruh. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, hey, hey, right. I ain't saying where I was at. I was saying how long ago it was. So, you know, if you listen to the whole show today, you know where I was at. <laughs> um, um, all right, so you know, that's right. what it that's, is, man. That's a very interesting story. Yeah, it, it happens a lot. I deal with a lot of, uh, at, at work and other places where I've heard stories like that and comments. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but, yeah it, that's crazy. That's crazy. Okay, my wife even told me some crazy stories as well in, in similar fashion, same arena. They just be saying things She's like, wow, crazy. Anyway, all right, man. Thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate you. Um, let the people know your social media handles, how they can get in contact with you in the 15 white coats. Yeah, man. So my personal media handles are um, at the guy 
with yes. Um, that's a very personal meaning to me. Um, and if you DM me, I'll let you know what it means. Um, that's on Instagram and Twitter and on Facebook. Um, you can just look at my name, Russell Day. Um, and then for the 15 white coats, no matter what platform you go on, Instagram, um, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, um, it's at it's the 15 white coats. The 15 white coats. That's it. That's All us. right. All right, y'all. Thanks for coming on the show, Mr. Lede. I'm sorry, Dr. Lede. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, I got to, I got to say that, you know, because uh, I know how much work y'all put in for that. Um, um, make sure y'all follow, subscribe, like, uh, share this episode, get the message out. Um, this is the reason why I created this platform, so you get people like you could tell your story and so it can inspire others in the next generation. All right. Also, All right. I want to give a big up to my wife for watching the show for the first time. Thank you, honey. I love you. Like I always tell everybody, you are the best decision I ever made. Thank you. Thank you. For yes. All right. <laughs> so, uh, for no, y'all in, enjoy the rest of y'all night. We out. Any, any uh, last words, doctor? Nah, man. Y'all have a good evening, bro. I'm going to sleep. <laughs> yeah, you <laughs> I'm going to sleep, brother. Y'all have All a good right. night, man. Yeah, All right. We out, though. All right, later. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Have a great day. Let's go out to the video. This is Jared from the Lanyard Legends Podcast. Please check us out on all social media outlets at Lanyard underscore legends on Instagram, at Lanyard Legends at Twitter, at Lanyard Legends on Facebook. Uh, hit us up on all outlets. See y'all next time. Thank you for tuning in for the podcast.